Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Amen. Amen. So if you want some notes to go along with this message, you'll find them on the YouVersion Bible app as normal. Uh, and it's really simple to find them. Just open up the app, click on the little menu button down the bottom right-hand side, and it'll come up and you'll find events. When you click on that, you'll see Found Church flashing red. It'll be live there so you can get some notes. But if you've got a Bible handy, turn with me to John chapter 14. Uh, and we're going to read through verses 15 to 24. Uh, John 14, 15 through to 24. And it will be up on the screens also. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you will also live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Amen. So as we continue our series, and actually I realize that this is my last message in the upper room, and we we started this uh, series at the start of the year thinking it would be done by summer, and we're not even halfway through the whole upper room Discourse, so we're having to cut it short. So, this is my last one, but I want to continue that series in the upper room with Jesus. And the title of my message today is simply this So, you say you love Jesus. So, you say you love Jesus. And I remember a few months back, I had a, a conversation with a guy who, who couldn't wait to tell me that, that he was some sort of spiritual revolutionary. And he couldn't wait to tell me that he, he absolutely loved Jesus. He loved to tell other people about. Jesus. Then I asked him, which church do you go to? And he had absolutely nothing but disdain for the local church. He didn't want anything to do with the local church. He said that the church was full of religion and all that kind of stuff. And then so I challenged him. I said, but these are based on directly and explicitly on the teaching of the New Testament. So how can you love Jesus and not love the local church? But when I pressed him on that and said to him, how can you love Jesus and and, and disobey the explicit instructions of the New Testament? Let me tell you, he did not seem bothered by that inconsistency. He was not bothered at all in the slightest about that inconsistency that he was showing. But it's not just him. I meet people all the time who literally declare their love and their devotion to, to, to Jesus, but they're suspicious of the local church. Most specifically, they would often speak in the same breath of their love for Jesus, but their disdain for what they would call the institutional church. 
They would read their Bibles, they would share the gospel, but typically avoid anything that smacked of what they felt was tradition or religious. And this is not a new thing. This could be traced all the way back to the 60s and 70s with the whole Jesus People movement that started way back then. But it's never really disappeared from the, the professing evangelical Christian world. And it's re-emerged with vengeance in the last 15 to 20 years, especially in America, but also here in the UK. And, and you'll be find it called things like the Emerging Church Movement. But even people who had no part in the Emerging Church would still be found declaring their love for Jesus and their commitment to Jesus at the same time as openly and knowingly disobeying what the New Testament teaches. We see this problem in multiple areas of life. The same reality is present in all of them. It's this profoundly unbiblical idea that we can truly love Jesus and be his disciple, but at the same time consciously, openly and repeatedly and unrepentantly live in opposition to what Jesus commanded us to do or not to do. In effect, what we're saying is this, that Jesus is great, that being a follower of Jesus is the end thing to do, that declaring your love for Jesus and your admiration for his message is somehow awesome, that living a simple and generous lifestyle like Jesus is somehow cool, that standing defiantly in the face of religious hypocrisy is important, but the ethical commandments of Jesus Well, they're simply outdated and impractical. God's plan is to build and grow his church. They would say that it's boring, that it's restrictive, and it's ineffective. So what would Jesus have to say to such people? We don't have to look any further than what we just read in John 14. Four times within the span of those ten verses, Jesus says it as clearly and explicitly and undeniably as he possibly could. Verse 15 If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And Jesus pretty much said the same thing back in John chapter 8. And there he spoke to the religious leaders who said they believed in him. And in verse 31 he says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And we see this again in John 15, verse 10, and John 15, verse 14, where Jesus declared, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. So I suppose, though, in some ways, if someone someone who was here was to critique this message of Jesus, they might point out the fact that it's not the most effective strategy in communication to repeat something over and over again in such a short span of space and time. Because if you do so, you run the risk of boring people and losing their attention. But let me tell you, the fact that Jesus says the same thing repeatedly, I don't think it's an indication that he was somehow a poor preacher. It's an indication that he was deadly serious. He was dead serious about this truth and that we need to pay close attention to what he says here. Among other things, this means that you and I come into this building on Sunday mornings, sing loudly and passionately about Jesus and our love for him like we just did a few minutes ago. Then we walk out the door and live in explicit defiance of what he has commanded us to do. Our so-called worship is of no value if we do that. If you come in here and sing passionately like we're doing a few minutes ago and then walk out the door and live total opposite of what Jesus tells us, then our worship has no value in the slightest. It's a hypocritical 
it's disingenuous. So what are the commands of Jesus? What is the word that he says we must be diligent to keep? Surely it's the entirety of his exhortations and instructions. It would include everything that he says here in the upper room discourse in chapters 13 through to 17. Such things as loving one another and praying in his name. It would include everything that's recorded in John's gospel and everything recorded for us in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Things such as loving our enemies, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us, taking the gospel to the nations of the earth, living by the golden rule as stated by Jesus in Matthew 7, so and everything do to others what you would have them do to you. But let me tell you, it doesn't just stop there. Let me remind you that Jesus said he will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church Jesus is building began at Pentecost. And it's built upon the foundation of the many exhortations, principles, and ethical guidelines contained in the epistles of Paul, Peter, and John, and the rest of the New Testament documents. In other words, the commands of Jesus, the commands that Jesus has in mind here in John 14 would include all of the commands all throughout the whole New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 21, Paul himself, while declaring that he was free from the law of Moses, said that he was under the law of Christ. Therefore, whatever Paul told the church in the first century was simply the law of Christ or the commandments of Jesus himself. And these would include things such as abstaining from sexual immorality from 1 Thessalonians, blessing those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them from Romans chapter 12. Being subject to governing authorities from Romans 13. Giving off your finances to the work of the local church and to do so generously and joyfully from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And there's another reason why I, I believe that it's essential that we look to the rest of the New Testament to find out what is included in the commands of Jesus in other words, the commands of Jesus include far more than simply what he himself said during the course of his earthly life. And here's why. In John 14, verse 25, it says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and, importantly, will remind you of everything I have said to you. Here Jesus tells them that whatever he may have said while he was with them, that they later forget about will be brought back to their minds by the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And we can be assured that the commands of, the, commands of Jesus are recorded for us in the epistles of the New Testament that were written by those present with him in the upper room. And also consider what John himself said in this regard. John was present, of course, with Jesus in the upper room when he spoke these words. And in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. And then in chapter 5 of the same book, he says, In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. But what does it mean, though, to keep his commands? People have, who have no particular commitment to Jesus and do not, in fact, love him and have no desire to be known as his followers, they will often speak about how Jesus was a, a wonderful moral example to their lives. They will praise him for his philosophical wisdom. They like to point to him as someone who was unafraid to take on the religious establishment and to call him out for hypocrisy of the day. But these, these same people have absolutely no intention 
of actually keeping his commands. They don't feel bound to honor his statements on behavior and what it means to truly worship God. The idea that we should love and pray for our enemies is distasteful to them. They would rather get even with their enemies. What this means is that keeping Jesus' commandments is something far more than simply acknowledging that they are good and ethically upright and practically beneficial. We must actually be devoted to what Jesus said, not merely merely memorizing it or, or telling others about it or even writing books about what Jesus taught. And let me remind you, of course, we will never in this life perfectly keep all that he commanded. Never. And like that great video Dan showed at the start, even when we mess up, Jesus still says, welcome home. Because we'll never ever be able to be perfect in it. But the Christian life is always one of progressive growth and improvement in obeying the words of Jesus. And on those occasions when we don't keep them, we'll always experience that conviction of the Holy Spirit. At least I certainly do. Multiple times every single day. Maybe it's just me but I've convicted every day. So the issue is one of the pursuit of all that he commanded, not the per- perfect fulfillment of it, because we'll never manage it. We're not Jesus. But we need to be pursuing it with all that we have. And some have mistakenly interpreted Jesus to be saying that love is commandment keeping, or saying that we should define love as simply commandment keeping, as simply obeying the rules. That is love. Some have got that wrong. I don't think that is correct. Jesus is saying that loving him leads to obedience. To love Jesus is the root of which obeying Jesus is the fruit in our lives. The person who genuinely loves Jesus, well as a result or in consequence to that love, obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is what John is trying to say in that passage that I quoted earlier in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have to, that we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. See, to know Jesus, according to John, is to love Jesus. Keeping the commandments of Jesus is the test or the evidence or the proof that we have come to know him and we've come to love him. But what does it mean, actually mean then, to love Jesus? And this is perhaps the most challenging and important thing for us to understand. Do you notice how many times Jesus repeats this point? In that John 14, verses 15 to 24, he uses the word love eight times in that short text. So what does it actually mean, though? Let me tell you, certainly not what the world today means by love. First of all, we know that the love we have to have for Jesus is not identical to the love that he has for us. Why? Because Jesus loves us In spite of our moral flaws and in spite of our sinful ways, Jesus still loves us. But Jesus, he has no flaws and he has committed no sin. Therefore, we can't can't love Jesus precisely the same way that he loves us. We rejoice in knowing that the love of God for us in Jesus overcomes the obstacles that we create. Our sin, our selfishness, our unbelief, our greed, our idolatry, our moral failings. In other words, God loves us in Jesus in spite of the fact that we are unlovely and deserve damnation and judgment, but he still loves us. We don't love Jesus in spite of anything. We love him precisely because he is without sin, because he is glorious and beautiful and altogether lovely. 
Jesus deserves the love that we show him, but we don't deserve the love that he shows us. Our love for Jesus must be a response of our hearts, a response of our minds and our affection to his beauty, his holiness, greatness and glory. We don't love him because he needs it somehow. We don't love him in response to some defect or deficiency in him. We love him because he is morally, spiritually and in every other way relevant, perfect and whole. That's why we love him. You and I first take deep and heartfelt delight in the excellency of Jesus Then, as a result of that, we love doing excellent things. That is the things that he has commanded us to do. To love someone or something is to desire them, to crave it, to long for it, to want it, to prefer it. Can you say today with with all honesty that I desire Jesus, crave for more of Jesus, long to see him, to know him and enjoy him above everything else? Back in John 12, verse 43, we are told that the crowds... They refused to trust and believe in Jesus. Why? Because they loved human praise much more than they loved praise from God. To love Jesus is to be pleased with him, satisfied with him, content with him, in awe of him, happy with him. As above all else, a yearning to be with him forever. To love Jesus is to feel an irrepressible inner desire to pursue the fame Not our fame, but the fame of his name and his name alone. It is to prize him above all that this world offers. It is to live for his glory, even if that would mean the loss of all earthly or human glory. It is to admire him and treasure him as infinitely more precious than anything or anyone anywhere in the universe. Clearly then, to love Jesus is much more than to simply obey Jesus You will only obey Jesus if you first love him. See, love is a deep-seated, heartfelt passion for Jesus that engages with our affections. It is to know him more intimately and to experience his presence more fully in our lives. And the final question I want to answer, I think it strikes us with quite the problem. And this question is, is this, is God's love for us dependent upon our love for him? For it appears, though, when you read that text, it appears as if Jesus is saying that God will love us only if we first love him. In other words, when you look closely at the text at the start, it almost seems as if he's saying to us that we earn God's love by loving him. Let me remind you of verses 21 through 23 in John 14. It says, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas said, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my, my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And when I read that on the surface, it appears as if Jesus is saying that only if we first love him will his father love us. But the answer to that is no, that's not reality. That's not reality. And I think it's almost a bit like yes and no to that question, is that we have to love him first and he'll love us more. It's almost like yes and no. And let me explain that fully. And I can see Michael looking at me with eyes like, Stephen, you've got that wrong. So let me just unpack that a little bit to explain what I mean. So let's start firstly with the no response to this question. See, throughout the New Testament, and especially here in John's gospel and in his first epistle, 
God's love for us and Jesus always comes first. His love for us is always the cause of which our love for him is the effect. Consider just a couple of familiar verses that say this. John 3.16 that Alan quoted earlier, for example. His love for us led to, to, to his giving to us his son and as a way for our obtaining eternal life. Or think about John 13.34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. See, our love for others is obviously the fruit or result or a response to a love that Jesus has already shown to us by giving himself to us. Jesus' love for us comes first. And our keeping his, of his commandment to love others follows. And Jesus' love for us is both the pattern and the power for our then loving other people. This verse of course, you settle the question once and for all in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And of course, Romans 5 and 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is not for those who love him, but for those who hate him. Sinners, you and me. It was while we were still sinners, not after we became saints or after we accepted Jesus, it was, or after, because we loved God, it was all because God loved us first. If all that is true, then what does Jesus mean when he says in verse 21 that whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him? What does he mean in verse 23 when he says that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him? So this is the yes part of that question I posed earlier. Does Jesus mean that God will love us more because of our obedience? I don't really believe that is the case, that God increases in how much he loves us, but rather that he increases our capacity to know, enjoy, and experience his love for us. In other words, he's saying that our love for God, revealed and seen in our obedience, leads to an even greater depth of ability and sensitivity of our hearts to sense and see God's love for us. So you can take away your squinty eyes, Michael. <laughs> See, God poured out his love for us in Jesus that serves as the ground and cause of our now being in a relationship with him. In turn, our love for him leads to our obedience to his commands. And as we obey his commands, he promises to work in us in such a way that our spiritual and emotional capacity to enjoy being enjoyed by him slowly but surely grows deepens and intensifies as we journey with him. Jesus is talking about God energizing and expanding our ability to feel and enjoy and delight even more deeply in the love that he already has for us. It all begins with God's love for the otherwise hell-deserving sinners like you and me. That love for us awakens in our hearts a corresponding love for him. And as we live in obedience to what Jesus has commanded, he graciously gives us a sensible experience and rock-solid knowledge of the immeasurable and calculable expanse of his glorious affection for you and for me. Our love for him is always the reflex or the response to his love for us. And as we continue to love him and demonstrate it by our obedience, he promises that he will pour into our lives even more love and the ability to see it and enjoy it to a greater degree than we've ever known before. 
God responds to our obedience with an extraordinary, extremely personal and deeply intimate affection that goes beyond what we experienced when we first came to faith in Jesus. And as the band come and we wrap this up, let me ask you this morning, why do you obey the commands of Jesus? Is it out of fear? Is it primarily from a sense of moral duty? Is it because you feel obligated? Or is it because you love him so much that you can't bear the thought of doing something that might bring sadness to his soul? Is it because you're so keenly aware of how great his love is for you that you want nothing more than to be pleasing in his sight? When you see the commandments of Jesus in Scripture, does your heart somehow sink under a heavy burden as you think, I could never ever live up to that? Do you sink in despair? Do you run away in shame? Or do you see a wonderful opportunity to put your love for Jesus on display for all to see? Do you feel instinctively drawn to do his will because you love him so truly, sincerely, and passionately? I long for a heart, mind, and affections that rejoice at the invitation to obey Jesus. And if you don't, it might be that you don't fully grasp his love for you. God's love for us that produces in us our love for Jesus. A love that results in obedience to his commands leads to the assurance that the Father and the Son together with the Spirit will come to us and make their home with us who will always say, welcome home. Always say, welcome home. Just as Jesus will depart in order to make a future home for his followers, the Father, Son and Spirit will come to the obedient disciple and dwell in them as God's very home. Talk about heaven on earth, but not merely on earth. Rather, it's heaven in our hearts. Heaven in our hearts. Hey, and I love to, as we wrap up this message, I would love to pray for you. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.